message that didn't meet at all uh, today. Wimpy, wimpy people. So it's good to be here. I'm glad you're uh, here. And uh, let's just pray together. Lord, we do thank you that you have gathered us uh, together tonight. We thank you that you are here. Lord, we bless you and praise you for that. We pray that as we, as we hear your word and think about uh, Jesus' interaction with, with the Samaritan woman, that you would uh, teach us through that story. Help us to think about thirst, our own thirst, and, and how you provide refreshment for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty famous story, uh, John, chapter, John chapter 4. Now, now he had to go, this is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? And drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flock and herds. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will, in, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. The word of the Lord. At Grace Church, I, I pastor at Grace Christian Reformed Church, which is in uh, now downtown Grand Rapids. We used to say it was an inner city church. And as the downtown is expanding, which is happening quite in dramatic ways, we're, we're quickly becoming a, a downtown church. It's actually a place that people now really want to live in. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool for us and presents its own set of challenges. So I've been there for uh, 10 years and have kind of watched this happen and now it's really picking up steam. It presents challenges to us as a church. But at, at Grace Church, uh, we have been looking since the beginning of Advent 
at the Gospel of John. And we began in John chapter 1, and during the entire season of Advent, we looked at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's kind of, it's kind of the story of Christmas told from, from God's perspective. And then uh, since Advent, since Christmas, we have continued uh, looking together at the Gospel of John. It's, it's a Gospel that reads quite differently than do uh, the others, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called, sometimes called synoptic Gospels, meaning they have, they're similar. They're uh, similar in the stories that they tell and the order that they tell them, but the Gospel of John is quite different. It reads very differently than the others. And so you get to the stories and you find that there's deep theology, there's deep truth embedded in, in these stories. The chapter before, this fourth chapter is Jesus' encounter with a, with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And in that, we get the very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And we also get, just after that, you get Jesus talking about the wrath of God. And Jesus says, it makes for interesting um, contrast. There's deep theology and, and truth that come out of the stories, that come out of the encounters that Jesus has with people. So you can see from this encounter with Nicodemus, for example, that, 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 that the nature of God includes simultaneously both both love and wrath. That's another sermon. It was a good one. So, and you see, I think, truth and theology emerging from this encounter. You see theology having to do with worship, for example. And it's, uh, but here Jesus says to the Samaritan woman, I know that you have thirst, and I have, and I have water for you, and if you drink this water that I can give you, it'll be like an eternal spring of, of living water. That, that's available to you and, and, and available also for us. There's a fountain, Jesus says, out of which comes nothing but the coolest, most refreshing, sweetest, satisfying water imaginable. It'll satisfy you forever, Jesus tells this uh, Samaritan woman. And it's, are we experiencing that? In our Christian lives, are we, are we experiencing that? As we head off into, into now Lent, uh, this week, beginning Wednesday, I just uh, pray for us that we will begin more in the season of Lent to experience this spring of living water. Jesus says to this woman that she has thirst. And in a, in a, in a, in a sense, I think Jesus is making an argument to her. There's a, there's a, there's a flow to what Jesus teaches her. There's an, it, it's an argument. It's making a case. And the argument goes something like this. You're, you're thirsty. There's a hunger. There's a craving that exists in you that that has not been satisfied. And there's nothing in this world that can satisfy that. You, you will find that nothing but what I can offer you will satisfy this thirst. And in fact, anything else will result in you just becoming thirstier. I think there are lots of liquids that we might drink to quench our thirst. Some of them good, some of them not. Some liquids can kill you. Some will just not quench your thirst. You would not come in after, after uh, mowing your grass on a hot, humid July day, parched, ready to, ready to faint and reach for a bottle of bleach or, or a glass of wine, right, or a bottle of ketchup. It wouldn't, it wouldn't quench your thirst. It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't work. There are liquids that will, or maple syrup, that occurred to me too, maple syrup. They're all liquids, but they actually will leave you thirstier than when you came in. They don't satisfy a, a deep, real thirst. 
Well, so what is Jesus talking about here? People, be, people believe, we believe, that the things we go after here in this world, in our lives, can satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts, our deepest thirsts. There are, there are desires that we all share. They're desires that all, all humans share. We hold out this hope that we'll find what we've been looking for when you, when you first fall in love, when you start in on, on, your, on your career, when you have your first child, when you experience your first professional success, when you're able to, to buy and move into the dream house that you've always wanted. And when, and when, those, when those kind of events happen in our lives, we... We let ourselves think this is it. This is what we've been, this is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been after. This will finally satisfy me. And we find each time that it doesn't. We find each time that, that it, 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 it's, it, there's something else. There's something more. We're thirsty again. And we kind of realize we've been climbing a ladder that's been put up against the wrong wall. And the climb did not take you where you wanted to go, where you thought you wanted to go, and we're still And the more we drink of these things we thought would, would satisfy the thirst, the thirstier we seem to get. They're like ketchup. And some of you know that I'm speaking the truth. Some of you have had these great professional successes in life and find that, that the things that we've placed our hope in didn't, didn't quite work out. They've not worked, and we still, we still have thirst. We're after something else. So I think people react differently to this, this disappointment that they, that they find when they, when they reach something they've been after and it didn't really satisfy. We can blame the things that we went after. We can say they failed me, they're at fault. This turned out to be the wrong house. It turned out to be the wrong wife, the wrong husband, the wrong career. And we can seek to do it over again. We can go after it again. And then rich and powerful, beautiful people have the capacity, they have the money, they have the magnetism, they have the desirability to do it over and over and over again, hoping finally now they'll, they'll get it right. They continue to look for satisfaction in, in, the same, in the same things. Lots of examples of that. The richer and more famous you are, the, the, the more you're able to try something else again and again and again. So we have people like Billy Ray Thornton who's been married five times to five incredibly beautiful women Right? The rich and successful can, when they find that they're not contented, say, well, I thought this was it. I thought that this would finally work for me, and apparently I was wrong. And so they, they need to try something else, and they can look very foolish. But it's the kind of thing that keeps pe- magazines like People and National Enquirer in business, right? We enjoy the stories. We enjoy the foolishness of, of, the, of the rich and famous. An alternative to blaming the things is to blame yourself. And you might say, I've made, I've made some mistakes. I was, just, I was just wrong. I've made bad choices. I shouldn't have married that person. I went in, I've gone into the wrong profession for me. I should, I should not have trusted that person. Those kind of, those kind of are examples of, of blaming yourself. It's my fault. I've messed up. I've been stupid. Somebody must be at fault. We have to blame someone, either, the, either what we went after or blame ourselves. Or there's another possibility that people come to. And that, is, and that is to say, satisfaction in this life just doesn't exist. Right? You can blame life itself. 
we, we can just blame, blame the circumstances that is life. That when you can live out your whole life and never find, never find satisfaction for this thirst. Ne- come to the realization that maybe there isn't happiness and fulfillment at all. It's, life is absurd. It, it's a mirage. It's an illusion that there can be happiness and contentment in this life. You, gotta, you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you kind of get that, you kind of get that sense everything is futile. And that nothing really satisfies these deep desires. And from that determination, it's quite easy then to become cynical and bitter about the lack of joy and fulfillment in life. And that is what happens. But there's another possibility for understanding all of this. And that has to do with understanding the biblical narrative and understanding the biblical truth that we're separated from God. We've been separated from God because of our sin and, and that it's in that relationship that we were intended to have with God that the satisfaction is to be, is to be found. Uh, the Bono, the lead singer of uh, U2, I think is writing about this in the song he wrote entitled, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. It has, it's, it's that idea. He talks about the various ways in which he sought to quench a thirst and, and, and find satisfaction and their failure to deliver. So I still haven't found what I'm looking for. He writes, I have... I've climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I have run. I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. I have kissed honey lips. I felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like fire. It was burning desire. I spoke with tongues of angels. I held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night. I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. We have this thirst. We have this thirst. We have this desire always for something more. C.S. Lewis wrote that for every desire you find in a creature, there exists satisfaction. So Lewis is saying that a duck wanting to swim means there's such a thing as water. Or, or babies thirsting means there's such a thing as milk. Or, or men and women having sexual desire means there's such a thing as sex. Lewis says, if I find within myself a deep thirst that nothing in this world can ultimately satisfy, it must mean, it has to mean, that I was built for another world. It's a good line to remember, I think, and you're connecting with people who aren't Christians, who are, they may feel, uh, they may feel this thirst in life and feel that they've unable to find satisfaction for, and perhaps they're finally ready to hear this truth if I... If I find within myself deep thirst that nothing in this world seems to satisfy, it must mean I was built for another world, created for another world. And I think people that got into drug addictions or sexual addictions or did so longing for something greater, this is not what they were after, they were after something else. Or those of us who poured ourselves into our careers, did so hoping for something more, something else. It's, it's our human way of trying to quench a deeper, a deeper thirst we're trying to satisfy a deeper thirst. And ultimately, we, we can come to the conclusion that the, this thirst is not of this world. It's not satisfied in the things of this world. I'm thirsty because we need something else. I'm after this spring of living water that Jesus is talking about. I thought these things would satisfy me, but they haven't. And we realize, we come to realize that we were, we were created for something more than what this world offers us. That's the, that's the argument, I think, that Jesus is making with this, with this woman at the well. And he says to her, whoever drinks of this water here in this well will thirst again. However, whoever drinks of the water I give will never thirst. 
Indeed, indeed, the water I give will become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. She's, she's all excited because of the, 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 the physical thirst that, that she's realizing. The image of water is so, is so important scripturally, and it's so important in this, in this culture, in this time. It's still in this time today. I, was in, I had the privilege of going to Israel in 2011. Water is such a huge deal. We st- my family and I stayed for a week with a Palestinian family. And it's just hard to imagine living in a state that has more water, than more fresh water probably than any other place on the planet. But in the Middle East, wars are fought over water. The Golan Heights on the border of Israel and Syria is contested because of the water runoff. It's a, it's a dry, parched place. It's a desert. And every day, people have to think about water. The Palestinians we stayed with thought about water every single day. So, so toilet paper is discarded and not flushed. Water is so precious. Israel rations it and, and uses it to keep, to keep people in line. They, they control the water and water is life. In the desert, water is life. And this, this woman at the well doesn't, doesn't understand what Jesus is offering. And she's really happy with the possibility of not having to think about getting water every single day. And Jesus says, my water, my water is, is, is eternal life. He gives eternal life. We, we may tend to think of eternal life as, 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 as heaven, you know, as, as life that goes on forever. And of course, that's true, but it's, it's more than that. Eternal life for us begins now. Eternal life is about, is about a quality of life, and it begins here. It's about, it's about finding satisfaction. It's about quenching the thirst that we, that we have in this life. What are, we, what are we thirsting for? What are we really after? The thirst we have is, is for, like, meaning in life, fulfillment in life. You know, we, we profess as Christians that we, are, that we are not an accident. God created us. And if, if there's a creator, if there's not a creator, if we're just, a, if we're just an accident, there really is there any point to life. There isn't any purpose in life. It makes no sense. But if we have a creator... And we can be in relationship with the God who created us. It's a game changer. We have purpose and meaning and direction in life. We have that thirst. We have a thirst for meaning. We have a thirst for love. You know, so many of us are, go through life with, with, with things we are carrying by not, because we've not been loved. We didn't get the love we needed. We didn't get it from our father or from our mother or from our siblings or our spouses. We need love. We need a father who is available, perfectly patient, welcoming, accepting, committed to the growth and love and progress of his children. If there is a creator who is not only creator, but also your loving heavenly father that you can actually know through Jesus Christ, then this thirst, this thirst for love that we're all after can be, can be satisfied. We thirst for forgiveness. We search for peace. We've all sinned. You know, I... We struggle with guilt in our lives. I've offended people in my life. You've offended people in your lives. I've made mistakes. I've done things that I, that I regret. And we, we will live with guilt over, the, over those kind of things that we've done until there is forgiveness and reconciliation. If I accuse someone of, of doing something that they didn't do, I struggle with the guilt until I go to that person and say, did I, did I offend you? And if he says, yes, you did, then I can say, I'm 
I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I can repent. I can be reconciled. I can clear my conscience. And this is true in our relationship with God. And we know that we've sinned. We know that we've gone wrong. And unless I can go to God and receive forgiveness, I walk around in life with this guilt. And I'm not going to be able to experience the living water of its forgiveness. And this is what we were created for. It's living water. It's a spring. Huge difference between a spring and a well, if you think about it. Water is precious in the Middle East. They collect it from wherever they can get it, whenever they can get it. A well at the time of Jesus was often a, a cistern, which means that it, it collected water. It collected rainwater and, or it came off the ground or came in from the sky. And if it, and if it didn't rain for a long period of time, the, it went dry. Jesus isn't offering a cistern. Jesus isn't offering a well. He's offering a spring. We think about the differences between a well and a spring. A spring continually rises up, continually rises up with cool, refreshing water. Jesus, it rises up to eternal life. It continually bubbles up. That's what springs do. Springs cannot be sealed up. A spring cannot be overcome. No matter what may be going on in, in, in your life, realize that Jesus Christ has planted something in you. If you, believe in, if you believe in him, there's a fountain within you. And when, when we are the most despairing, hope bubbles. The spring cleanses you. The spring gets rid of the pollution in our lives, the sin in our lives. This is, in fact, the pearl of great price that Jesus talks about. And how do we receive it? Jesus says it's, 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 it's simple. It's the water that I give you. Twice he says it's, if anyone has the water that I give you, it's a gift. Our wisdom can't find it. Our power can't obtain it. Our money can't buy it. We can't acquire it through our merit, through our doing well. It's a gift. It's a gift of grace that, that Jesus gives us. And it doesn't mean, this doesn't mean to ask Jesus something in the abstract. It means asking Jesus to live within us. Asking Jesus to live at the center of our lives, for us to live our lives out from that. And if, you take, if we take Jesus into the center of our lives, we will find it. We will find the peace knowing that we belong to this Jesus who has paid our debt. It means that whatever Jesus has done, Jesus has done for me. And now he's mine. He's in my life. And we, I live for him. That water that I give will become in them a spring of living water gushing up to eternal life. That's the promise. As we go into this season, season of Lent, I, just, I encourage you to, to think about this passage, to look at it again. Jesus is saying to us, come to me. Jesus is saying to us, trust, taste and see that the, that the Lord is good. Come to me and taste. Come to me and drink. Bring me into the center of your life and drink. And what we need to do is to simply pray, Lord, I'm not sure that I understand all of this, but I do thirst. I do thirst. I need a new spring. I need a new source of joy and love. And I come to you and I give myself to you. Sometimes we try so hard. And this is so simple. Jesus offers himself to us. He offers us a well that springs up to eternal life. And he invites us, everyone, to come and taste and see that our Lord is good. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And we thank you, we thank you for the reality behind, behind that story, the truth in that story, that there, that there is an offer of satisfaction for what we thirst after.
and it's found in you. Lord, as we enter into this season of Lent together, we pray that that spring would become in all of our lives a greater reality for which we will give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude our worship singing together wonderful words, words of life.